Well, thanks um, for having me again, and uh, thanks for uh, your prayer, Susan. Um, that was um, very uh, encouraging, um, and thanks again for it. In January 1933, Adolf Hitler and his National Socialist Party came to power in Germany. There was a lot of violence and political turbulence as the Nazi, Nazi regime quickly consolidated its position. And it became clear uh, they were going to Nazify every level of German life, including the churches. The government pressured all the Protestant churches to join into a single Reich church and ministers could only preach if they agreed with the views of Hitler and the Nazis. They could not preach about Jewish teaching from the Old Testament and they were prohibited from baptising Jews. The Protestant pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer opposed Hitler and the Nazi regime from the start. And he became a leader in the breakaway church called the Confessing Church. Bonhoeffer was one of the few Christian voices that spoke out against Nazi ideology that had infected the whole of German society, including the church. So what do you do as a Christian or Christian community when you find yourself very outnumbered in a corrupt society. That's the scenario we have in Psalm 12. In this psalm, we have a disturbing picture of a completely corrupt culture, which drives the psalmist to pray urgently to the Lord for deliverance. Help, Lord. His urgent prayer in verse 1 is directed to the Lord. Notice his urgent prayer is just two words. Help. Lord, true prayer does not need to be long. As one Christian writer puts it, here are the two best prayers I know. Help me, help me, help me. And thank you, thank you, thank you. What lies behind this urgent plea? The psalmist feels he's all alone in this swamp of a completely corrupt culture. The psalmist points to three things that show the culture is completely corrupt. The first is the absence of a godly and faithful people. We see that in verse 1. For the godly are no more. The faithful have vanished from among men. The godly are those who have received the Lord's faithful committed love and who respond to the Lord in faithful love. They show that in the way they treat others. The Hebrew word faithful is related to truth. So they're truthful, reliable, and honest in their dealings with others. They're the ones who have vanished from among men, although the psalmist doesn't say why. The second thing that shows the culture is completely corrupt is the overwhelming presence of the wicked. We see that especially in verse 8. They're everywhere and they're strutting about 
we can probably think of some world leaders who strut about on the world stage. What marks a morally healthy society? The upholding of whatever is true and honourable. But that's not the case here. Instead, the human race values whatever is vile. <clears throat> the third thing that shows the culture is completely corrupt is widespread corrupt speech. The psalmist shows that in verse 2. Everyone lies to their neighbour, from the leading members of society to those at the very bottom. Everyone's doing it. The psalmist describes four kinds of corrupt speech in verses 2 to 4. First, there's empty talk. Secondly, smooth talk. Next is double talk. And finally, big talk. We see empty talk in verse 2. The literal translation is falsehood or emptiness. They are speaking a man to his neighbour. People trade lies with one another. And what are lies but empty words? They have no basis in fact. They mean nothing. And we see a lot of empty talk, especially from politicians. In the words of the song, they just talk, talk, talk talk, talk, and they don't say nothing. According to America's Washington Post newspaper, President Trump made 16,241 false or misleading claims in the first three years of his presidency. That's a lot of empty talk. Next, we see smooth talk in verses 2 and 3. We see that in the words flattering lips. The Hebrew for flattering lips in verse 2 is literally lip of smoothness. Flatterers use their smooth words to manipulate people for their own selfish purposes. Like the real estate agent who raved about the great view, but glossed over the fact that all you could see was factories. That actually happened to us. Smooth talkers are not just problems, uh, a problem outside the church. The Apostle Paul warns against smooth talk and flattery within the church in Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. There are some televangelists who exploit people of faith for their own gain. Tele-evangelist um, Jim Backer was sentenced to five years in prison back in 1989 on 24 counts of fraud and conspiracy after misappropriating funds from followers for his own use. Thirdly, we see double talk by returning to verse 2. The Hebrew meaning is more fully captured by these words. With a double heart, they speak. 
Double-heartedness indicates these people have two kinds of hearts. The outward kind of heart of kindness through their flattering talk that masks their other heart of, in, of evil intent. This is symbolised by Jesus, Jesus, sorry, by Judas betraying Jesus with a kiss. We see big talk also in verses 3 and 4. Verse 3 refers to the boastful tongue and verse 4 gives us a sample of what the boastful tongue says. We will triumph with our tongues. We own our lips. Who is our master? Don't underestimate the power of big talk. The Bible doesn't. Listen, for example, to what James says in chapter 3, verse 5. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Controversial radio talkback King Alan Jones knew how to start a fire with his words. He retired on Friday after 35 years on Sydney Breakfast Radio. His comments about New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern last August, including the suggestion the Prime Minister Scott Morriston shove a sock down her throat, led to an exodus of lucrative sponsors. So we've seen empty talk, smooth talk, double talk, and big talk. That's a lot of corrupt talk. So what is the psalmist's response to all this corrupt talk? He urgently prays in verse 3, May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and every boastful tongue. Calling for God to destroy all these evildoers is calling for drastic action. Yet these deceivers are so arrogant that they boast in verse 4. Who is master? Who is our master or Lord? Of course, the answer is God. The turning point in this psalm then comes in verse 5, moving from the psalmist's plea and complaint to the psalmist's confidence and assurance. In verse 5, God answers the urgent plea for help that we see in verse 1. The Lord says he's going to act now on behalf of the weak and vulnerable who are victims of these oppressors. The Lord has heard the victims groaning. In, groaning. in other psalms, groaning refers to the groaning of prisoners awaiting death. Psalms 90, 79 verse 11 and 102 verse 20. <coughs> Pardon me. In the NIV, the last part of verse 5 reads, I will protect them from those who malign them, which is in keeping with the theme of corrupt speech. But the Hebrew is not straightforward. Another translation, which I prefer, is I will put them in the safety for which they long. Either way, God is their deliverer. The now in I will now arise, says the Lord, doesn't necessarily mean right now, 
Because in verse 7, the psalmist talks about the Lord guarding us from from this generation forever. As one writer put it, the stress is not in the immediacy of the relief, but on the certainty of the word. But how certain can we be that these words of the Lord are trustworthy and reliable? How confident can we be that he will keep his promises? In verse 6, the psalmist says, The words of the Lord are flawless, like silver refined in furnace of clay, purified seven times. So then the words of the Lord are completely pure. There's no hint of falsehood or deception. Unlike the corrupt speech in verses 1 to 4. Because God's words are completely pure, they're completely trustworthy. As one writer put it, they come through the strictest quality control. The Lord actually does what he promises. So in verse 7, the psalmist confidently affirms his trust that the Lord will keep his promises of preservation and protection for the weak and vulnerable people of God. O Lord, you will keep us safe and protect us from such people forever. The phrase from such people is literally in Hebrew from this generation. The psalmist is referring to his deceitful and arrogant contemporaries. In verse 1, there was a completely corrupt culture. And there is still a completely corrupt culture in verse 8. The wicked freely strut about when what is vile is honoured among them. According to one writer, this wicked generation turns things upside down, treating the insubstantial as if it counted, the worthless as if it were valuable, and the despicable as if it were honourable. So verses 7 and 8 highlight the tension of trusting the Lord to preserve his people as they live in the reality of a completely corrupt culture while they wait for his ultimate now of deliverance. So what are our takeaway lessons from this psalm? Well, firstly, we need to acknowledge we live in a corrupt culture. Thankfully, it's not completely corrupt. In Australia, we still have the rule of law, but I'm sure you could point to examples of corrupt speech in our society, in advertising, politics, the media, and sadly, even in the church. Secondly, like the psalmist, we need to pray. And here we should follow Jesus' example. Jesus lived in a wicked perverse and unbelieving generation. Matthew 12, verse 45, and Matthew 17, verse 17. He suffered at the hands of liars. John 8, 44 to 47. Yet he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries to the one who could save from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Hebrews 5, verse 7. We can confidently trust in the word of God because he is completely trustworthy. Because we are quick to forget God's words, we need to read the Bible daily. We need to tell other people this good news and live it out 
in our corrupt culture. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a faithful follower of Jesus who opposed a completely corrupt Nazi culture and paid for it with his life. He was executed on 9th of April 1945, just weeks before the end of the war. We may not be called to die for the gospel in our corrupt culture, but we are called to be faithful as we pray for Jesus' return when all corruption will end. Amen. Uh, Andrew, we've got a few questions that have come through Padlet. Um, really great questions. So uh, if anyone else has any more questions as we're chatting, please throw them in uh, either on Zoom chat or on Padlet, but we'll start with the first one. Uh, what are some good ways we can lament together as a church community? What occasions are appropriate for us to lament? I guess that's in the context of this corrupt um, society that we're living in that Psalm 12 des describes. I thought you were going to answer that one, John. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, can, I can throw in some thoughts. Um, do you want to start and then I'll, I'll add a little bit? Um. I think scripture often provides a, um, an avenue and that's why I think the Psalms uh, are very helpful. Um, I think Daniel's prayer in chapter 9 of Daniel is a good example of lamenting um, and, the, uh, and taking responsibility personally too as being part of the problem, you know, in terms of the disobedience of the Jews um, that led to their exile. And we know he was a godly man and a faithful man, but he saw himself as part of the, um, you know, part of the community of God that had uh, strayed and gone away. So um, I think scripture often affords us, it's not just the Psalms, but we do find them in other instances too. Mm. And um, so I think... Um, as a church, as a, a body of believers, that's a good thing to do. And maybe it's an occasion where um, we read uh, a psalm together or pray a psalm together uh, at, in our church services um, or a passage like Daniel, Chapter 9, as an appropriate situation. Mm. Um. The occasions that were mentioned, uh, was that part of the other question, I think, uh, what occasions? No, still the first occasion. What occasion, uh, still the first question. Yeah. What occasions are appropriate for us to lament, so I guess. Well, I think things like the coronavirus situation, um, because it, it affects not just us, but the, our, the culture that we live in, our whole community. Uh, so that could be one. We could be uh, thinking of the situation in Minneapolis. Um, if you want to see a good example of uh, a godly response to the situation in Minneapolis, in Minneapolis mm. can I commend to you um, <clears throat> uh, John Piper's um, prayer that he crafted and it's on the website Desiring God. Yep. You'll see it there. It's a, it's a, a great example of, a godly response to a community situation. 
so if you go to the Desiring God website, you'll see it might be headed as an article and it's a prayer that is cra- crafted as a communal prayer hmm. uh, in response to that situation because um, he actually lives in that place. That's yeah. where he ministers. That's where he's yeah. been living for the last well, however many 30-odd years or 40 years or whatever. Mm. So um, those sort of occasions. Yep. I've just thrown that link onto the Zoom chat if anyone wants to click on it. Um, yeah, I think adding to your response, I agree with everything you've said. Um, maybe uh, uh, addressing it from a slightly different angle or a more specific angle to churches um, something that I've been thinking through recently um, is how to have elements of lament in our church services. Um, so I think often we we come to church together and uh, it's a really upbeat and it's a happy thing. And it is, like it totally is, to be able to come together as a family of God and worship and sing and hear about God, that's definitely a happy thing. Um, but I think on any given Sunday, there are people in the congregation that are lamenting, um, if not on every Sunday, at least on many Sundays. Um, and there's just thinking about our service, there's no real space for them to um, be able to share and for it to be okay for them to be sad, uh, even though um, the overall tone of Christianity is that we're super blessed and we should in in the bigger perspective we should have joy um so trying to for our church in particular trying to think of ways that we can uh put in lament into our services so people can be sad at at different times uh, one way we've tried to do it is introduce a couple of songs of lament um so weep with me is the only one that we've found so far that's been really um appropriate it's actually if you if you look for lament songs, there's like there's very few out there that really just lament and are, are Christians just singing about their sadness. Um, so I think it's not just our church that struggles with it, but the church as a whole. Um, and what occasions are appropriate to lament? Um, I think there's as many occasion as many occasions to lament as there are to be happy. Like we just live in a broken world, and um, for every thing that for every great and joyous event that we have, we have ones that make us uh, truly sad as well. Um, So we just have to be, um, I think, I think, sorry, one occasion for our, for our church to lament is um, when a church member is lamenting. So if, if a particular member of our church is lamenting, I think that's a good occasion for our church to lament, Uh, particularly around death of loved ones and things like that. Um, It will be great and this is what we're working on and I would love to hear everyone else's feedback, but we're just trying to figure out how we can do that in the service. So prayers, as Andrew said, songs are what we're thinking through. Uh, um, maybe even creeds that focus on those sorts of things. Yeah. That's excellent, John. You've actually um, reminded me of just how important what you said is because um, the Western church is mainly a church of celebration mm. Whereas the mm. churches that uh, are um, uh, going through the fires of suffering, mm. they speak the language of suffering, mm. you know. So these things would be second nature to them. Yeah. But we, um, 
tend to um, just focus on the positive and eliminate the negative. Yeah. Uh, but reality of life is we live in a, a broken world, as you rightly said. And someone did a survey of hymns or Christian songs, and they worked out that they're only about 3%. Yeah. I'm talking about Western, yep. you know, yep. where um, that there's any form of lament. Mm. Um, I uh, uh, preached a few weeks ago on Job's lament in Chapter 3, and part of the service uh, I found a song of lament based on Psalm 77. Oh. Um, and uh, I can send you the link later, John. I can't, yeah. I can't do it immediately. Um, which uh, uh, I thought captured the tone as well as the uh, words of lament um, really well. And I think there are so many different forms of loss and mm. grief that people go through. You know, think of Mother's Day. Think about the people the women in, in congregations who are childless, you know, the mm. um, uh, because of miscarriage or for whatever, for whatever reason, that's a time mm. when they feel sad that they're mm. not a mother. Uh, mm. That's just one example. As you said, there are just so many um, different instances. And it's as though we're afraid in our society to acknowledge the pain um, mm and that sorrow that that is there and it's as you say there's no space for it in in most churches there's little if no space for it at all yeah yeah there's no space for it in our culture really mm, and that's just that's carried right. over to churches um but churches should be a place that you can be sad and uh be comforted in that sadness um and uh just on psalms again um psalm 88 is a good example of this but um, the there's some psalms have little headings, um, and it might say something to like to the choir master or to the director of music or something, uh, which kind of implies that these psalms are meant to be sung together. A lot mm. of the lament psalms have those, you know, to the choir master, to the yep. whatever, director of music. Uh, psalm 88 does, even though it's a psalm um, of individual lament, as in I cry out to you, I weep, or whatever. It's um, it's presented as uh, one person suffering, but the whole community sings it and takes them through that suffering. Um, so that I, I think conceptually, that's what we want to do as a church. Um, practically, I don't know how to do it yet. Um, this is a good start. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talking about it is a good start. Um, and hopefully just normalising the fact that people are sad. And at church, you can even be sad. Uh, will be a helpful thing. Um, the final question, so we've just got two today. Uh, final question, what is the right response to government corruption? So this maybe overlaps some stuff that we've talked about already. What is the right response to government corruption? Like are riots okay? Example, George Floyd, Minneapolis. That's, uh, that's, a, that's a good thing. I believe in the right to protest. I think protest is okay. I think that's good because um, we need to speak out against injustice because, um, you know, that's part of being faithful because God is a God of justice. Uh, and we see, see that in the sun, you know, we see that uh, God has a concern for those um, who are at the margins mm. um, and those who suffer. Uh, and uh, we think of the widows, the orphans, the foreigner. 
um, they're in, in the poor. So uh, if God has a concern for them, so ought we to have a heart. And loving your neighbour is speaking truth, isn't it? Uh, speaking uh, truth to power is um, is a is a godly response. I I don't accept personally. I don't think it's right to go to that point of violence. Um, I don't think that um, I don't think that's justifiable. Uh, but certainly we should be speaking out against the injustices. And I've been encouraged that uh, I've seen uh, some um, um, instances on, say, the Gospel Coalition website of, and other sites of uh, Christian ministers speaking out against the, the wrongs, against the uh, racism that manifests uh, itself in the treatment of the... Uh, African-Americans. Um, so uh, I think that's that's an important thing to do is to speak out and support things like uh, even in Australia we have non-Christian bodies that are um, organisations that are concerned about um, ensuring um, integrity in government like Transparency International, which has got former Supreme New South Wales Supreme Court judge and I think a Victorian Supreme Court judge who are driving this to ensure integrity in the processes of government. So we should be supporting that and perhaps writing to our parliamentarians about, for example, the National Integrity Commission to ensure that there are as much as possible. That's how I think we should be using our... Um, uh, you know, uh, is a godly response to that sort of thing. Mm. Um, yeah, that's, I think in Western society, we have a ton of um, options besides violence to, to address government corruption. Uh, it does, I think it gets really blurry in societies where there really is no, there are no other avenues like um, dictatorships and things like that. Uh, even Bonhoeffer in um, Nazi Germany. So he, um, I think in, he participated in a um, assassination attempt against Hitler. Um, so that, that kind of blurs everything. I mean, he tried other things, like he tried leaving the country and, and um, being part of the, I forgot the church, the name of the church that you mentioned. The or Confessing like, Church. Confessing Church, that's it. Um, but it, yeah, in the end, I think that's what he was killed for. I'm very blurry on history. History is like my worst. Yeah, he was actually arrested before then uh, because he actually also helped Jews to escape from Germany. Yeah. But you're right. It was actually while he was in jail, uh, while he was in prison, um, he part he. Um, I think it was found that he was a participant in a conspiracy to assassinate um, Hitler. Yeah. So uh, personally, that's a bridge too far for for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, yeah, that's all I'll say about that. Yeah, one. yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, very blurry. Um, so, yeah, in very, yeah, you can always throw up hypotheticals where it makes it blurry. I think that's one of those situations. Um. And just, we've got a couple minutes, so we might be able to squeeze in a comment that's just come in a little late. Um, what are some other examples of communal lament in the Bible? Uh, are you 
Yep. Yes, just off the top, there are um, so there are two that readily come to mind. Psalm forty-four is one that's a communal lament, mm. and Psalm one hundred and thirty-seven, the one you know by the uh, rivers of Babylon. Oh yeah, we, that you yep. know because of exile. Yeah. Um, so they're examples of uh, of communal lament, mm. uh, just off the top of my head. But there are. Um, more than those uh, mm. uh, that you can find in any references to in any good uh, yeah. Bible dictionary. Um, yeah. So um, outside of the Psalms, just to add to your answer, outside of the Psalms, there's uh, I think in Jonah, all of Nineveh repents. They sit in ashes and sackcloth. So that's like the outward ex- expression of their lament, and they did that as a whole city. Um, I think on a couple of times in uh, lots of times in the old Testament, they'll do things like that. I think in Joshua, when Achan steals, ah, oh, no, I could be wrong. I'll leave that. There are lots of examples though. Those are the ones that come to my mind. Um, and a couple of Psalms from Andrew. Um, and I think you'll find some in the prophets too, because Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. Mm. Um, but, well, I suppose that's more of an individual sort of lament. Mm. Um, but um, yeah, um, so they're they're the um, ones that uh, come to yeah. mind. But there are other instances, aren't there? Where I think in the book of Ju- book of Judges, um, you know, there was a time when they were oppressed, and you don't see an actual prayer, but they said mm. they cried Cry to the Lord. Yep. Yeah. So, um, so you've got instances. Yeah, um, that happens like that repeatedly in judges. Um, and like, I'm not sure if the question's leaning towards expressions of lament, but I think there are there can be lots of expressions of lament. Um, so the Psalter kind of does it in words or in poetry. Uh, in Jonah, we see it physically sitting in ashes. Um, Job's friends in Job lament with him for a little while. Uh, before they start speaking. And that was done in silence. So just sitting with people in silence. Um, I think other cultures, um, so kind of outside the Bible, you see cultures where um, people will hire uh, professional criers in um, funerals. So, you know, when the funeral of um, someone dies, they have a funeral, they hire people to cry and weep loudly and follow the coffin uh, and mm. I guess that's that's kind of an expression of the community's lament through these group of people because maybe they can't cry or they just don't know what to do, but they have these people expressing lament. Um, so I don't think there's particular when we talk about expressing lament as a church community. I don't think there's uh, specific ways that we have to do it, um, but I think there's the goal or the concept of wanting to do it together. Mm-hmm. The good thing is, though, the Bible does provide an avenue uh, for us to do it, and uh, it gives us often the words that we sometimes we we think I, I don't know how to pray for this, but the Bible can, you know, the Psalms, for example, can give us the words mm. that we can't um, think of, and mm. uh, helps us in that space. Mm. Yeah, can describe our situation better than we can sometimes. 
absolutely. Um, oh, well, another one is communal. <laughs> people are throwing in more questions now. We've got a couple of minutes. Is communal fasting a good way for communal lamenting? Um, well, yeah, I think, oh, Andrew, you take it first. No, you, you're, you're running with it. That's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, like fasting is exp- in the New Testament. We see that more as, oh, maybe in the Old Testament as well, is um, seen as a way of expressing um, sadness. Uh, so, yeah, we could fast. I, I don't know if it has the same um, meaning in in our um, in our culture. So that's something to think through, like fasting if at all, is probably more a health fad um, as opposed to tied to lament. Um, But I guess within our community, we can give it that meaning. Um, So we can say we will fast together as a sign of lament over this thing um, and we can give it that meaning. So, yeah, possibly, possibly. I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think fasting often accompanies the prayer. I think, yep, yep. for example, when Jonah, you, you, you mentioned reference Jonah, I mm. think the king was basically saying, didn't he give the order basically, don't eat, you know, we should be fasting. Oh. You know, that, I think that was the response. I may be wrong. I should look it up, shouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't, but, I can't remember. But I think prayer and, you know, they usually often, they often go together as a sign yeah. of sorrow. So I'm sorry. A kind of a sign of turning to God as well. Exactly. Um, which, like lament, is basically turning our grief towards God. Um, yeah, I can't remember if Jonah mentions that specifically. I thought it. I thought it. Uh, let's let, let, let me just see uh, because um, well, it says the decree of the king in chapter three. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let the meat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call hmm. urgently on God. Yeah, okay. Um, so, uh, you know, but and let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, so I think if we're tying these, these outward actions have to in some way be tied back to turning towards God, turning our sorrows towards God, I think that's the basis of Christian lament. Um, you, can, you can almost tie any action you want to that. As long as it is directed towards God, I think that might be a, a valid way of expressing it. 